Well, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you were unprepared? How many here? Anyone find yourself in a situation where you're unprepared? Probably all of us. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, I had a speech class, and we were uh, supposed to prepare a speech for these poems that we were supposed to be reading. And our teacher was usually very predictable on who he would call. He'd always start at the last name of the alphabet starting with A and move down. And you know, my last name starts with an M. So I thought, you know, I got at least another day before I'm going to have to give up, uh, get up and give this speech. And you know, to my horror, the teacher stands up and says, you know, those with the last name A have been complaining to me that every single time I call on them, they're always first. So I'm just going to start in the middle and my name was the name that he called first. So I wasn't prepared, but when I came into the room, I heard people speaking about the poem, uh, and they were speaking about, which I thought what they said was roses. So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to get up there and wing it. You know, how hard can it be to talk about roses? And so I stand up and I start, you know, just, you know, you have to not only talk about the poem, but what was its meaning. And so, you know, roses are beautiful and they smell great. And this is poem about beauty. And I'm just going on making all this stuff up. And, and people at first give me this real puzzled look. And then people are starting to smile and they're starting to laugh. And then all of a sudden, you know, the teacher stops me and says, I don't know what puzzle, uh, what poem you read, but it surely wasn't about roads like everyone else. And uh, it was about the road less traveled by. And so when I came in, I thought they were saying roses when they were talking about it, but they were actually talking about roads. And so I got up there and make up something that was completely off. And uh, I was embarrassed and I failed my speech that day, but I wasn't prepared. Uh, and that was the real ultimate issue as is I came up there unprepared. And, and that's why that happened. And, you know, all of us have been in those situations. Maybe you invited someone over for dinner. You know, you thought you told them six. You actually told them five. And they show up. And the dinner hasn't even been started. You're not ready. The house is a mess. And, you know, they come in. And you're embarrassed because you weren't prepared. And, you know, something like that's not that big of a deal. But there are things that, you know, we're not prepared for that can be a big deal. You know, for example, you could be listening to the news. And they could say, you know what? A huge hurricane is coming your way. You need to go and you need to get gas, you need to go get food, uh, you need to go get supplies, and maybe you need to get out of the city. And you totally ignore all of that, all that information, and all of a sudden the hurricane hits, you go to the store, there's nothing, it's already been bought out. You go to the gas station, there's no gas, there's no supplies, and now you're in a quite a dangerous situation because you didn't prepare yourself when the warnings came about the hurricane. Now, the reason I bring this up about, you know, the embarrassment that can come because you're not prepared or the danger that can come because you're not prepared is because this morning in Luke chapter 12, we have something that we surely do not want to be unprepared for, and that is the return of Jesus. I think an important question that we should ask ourselves are, are you prepared for Jesus' return? If Jesus returned today, would you be ready? If Jesus to return today, would he find you living for him? You see, if Jesus did return today, there'd be many who have accepted him who would be embarrassed at his return. And the reason they'd be embarrassed at his return is because the lifestyle that they've cho chosen to live, uh, a lot of the sin that they're choosing to partake in and the selfishness of, of their lifestyle. And so if he returned today, there'd be many that have accepted him who'd be embarrassed, embarrassed in the way in which they're living. But if he returned today, there would also be those who have not accepted him, and they would recognize the danger they now find themselves in. The warnings of getting right with God, the warnings of repenting of their sin, the warnings of those things that have come to them that they have just said, you know what, forget that, I'm not going to worry about that, I'll deal with that another time. Now 
they have to face the judge of the universe. But you know what? We don't have to be embarrassed that Jesus returned. We don't have to have it be some dangerous, difficult time for us. And the way that we can ultimately not have that happen and instead be blessed that Jesus return is if we are ready for it. So here at the end of Luke chapter 12, Jesus is going to give us four things that we need to be doing to be ready for the return of Christ. And I want you to know that these aren't things that we just do one off. It's not, okay, if I do that once, I'm good. These are four things that we need to be continually doing as we're here on this earth in anticipating, waiting for the return of Jesus. So there's four very applicable, practical things that Jesus tells us we need to do if we're going to be ready for his return. The first thing we see as we pick up here Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35. Notice what Jesus says. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks they may open him to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. The first thing that Jesus tells us that we need to do if we're going to be ready for his return is watch and be prepared for his return. And Jesus here gives two parables. He loved to give parables, these illustrations that he would use to make spiritual points. And so he gives us two parables to help us understand this very important point of being watchful and prepared for Jesus' return. The first parable is about a good servant who is watching and prepared for his master who just got married. Now, during that time, wedding ceremonies took place at night, and, and the servant wouldn't know when the groom with his new bride would come back home. And so the groom has servants in his home, and he leaves for the wedding and the feast and everything, and he says, you know what, guys, you need to be ready for my return. I don't know when this ceremony and this party and everything's going to end. It could be at midnight, it could be at 2 in the morning, it could be at 5 in the morning, but when I come back with my new bride and she comes to this house for the first time, you guys as servants need to be ready, you need to be watching, you need to be prepared for when we get back to come to the house. And there are two things that the servants would do to make sure that they were prepared was first we're told they would gird their waist. At that time, people wore long robes, and so uh, in order to do something active, for those of you who were part of our Ephesians study, we noted this in battle as well. They would pull that long robe up, and they would take their belt, and they would wrap it up so that they now had mo uh, room to move. It was a way in which they prepared themselves for uh, activity, for some active service. And so that was the first thing they would do. The second thing they would do was to make sure um, all the lamps were lit in the house. Back then, obviously, they didn't have electricity like we do today, so in order for there to be any light, all the lamps would need to be lit, and so it was the, the servant's job to make sure that the oil was still in there, that all the lamps were lit, and so as the groom comes back with his bride, he doesn't come back to a dark house with no one there. He comes back to a house that's fully lit with servants ready to serve them. Now, if you were a good servant, you were watching, you were prepared, when the 
master of the house came, before he even knocked, you would be there, you would see, you'd be watching, oh, here he comes, everybody get ready, open the door and receive him and his new bride with your waist girded, ready to serve him, with the lights in the house all lit, ready to do what it is that you need to do. So Jesus uses this parable to help us see the importance of watching and being prepared for his return. In the parable, we are meant to be the good servants, and Jesus is the um, master who could come back at any time. He wants us to be those good servants who are waiting, who are watching, who are girded, ready to serve, who have the lights there shining for his return, wants us to watch and be prepared for that. And so in this first parable, Jesus shares this, this challenge, be watchful, be prepared for my return. And now Jesus is going to go on to tell us that when the servant is watching, when he's prepared for the master's return, there is a blessing that comes to that servant. Notice what he says in verse 37. Blessed are those servants who the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. So Jesus says, you know what, you need to be that servant who's watching and prepared. And if the master comes home and he finds you in that place, he finds you watching, whether it's the second watch or the third watch would be super early in the morning, no matter what time it is that the master comes, if he finds you prepared and ready for his arrival, you are going to be blessed because of that. And I think this is interesting what Jesus says here. Notice he says, and I say to you that he, speaking of the master, will gird himself and have the servants sit down to eat and will come and serve them. Now this is interesting because in the custom of the wedding feast, when the bride and groom would come home, they were treated as the king and queen. They wouldn't have to serve, they wouldn't have to do anything. And so as they arrive back in the house, they've now just been married, the start of their honeymoon time, they would get in and the servants would serve them. They would sit, they'd be waited on hand and foot. It was a special time in their life where they didn't have to do anything. But notice Jesus says, you know what? If I come being the groom in this picture and I find you, the servant, who's supposed to serve me ready and willing, you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to serve you. And this is kind of an interesting twist that Jesus puts on it. One of the blessings of you are ready when I return. There's some blessings that I'm going to bring to your life. So that's the first parable that Jesus uses to help us see the importance of watching and being prepared for his coming. And then he follows it up with another parable, bringing home the same point. Verse 39 says... But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So the second parable that Jesus uses here to show the importance of being watchful, being ready, is of a thief coming to your house. Now he says, you know what, if uh, a thief is going to come, guess what? Thieves don't announce that they're coming. You know, you don't get a call and say, hey, you know what? 3 a.m. this morning, I'm going to come rip off your flat screen TV and steal your car. I mean, thieves don't give you a heads up of we're coming to take your stuff. They try to come at a time you wouldn't expect, at a time maybe you're not home or a time that you're asleep. Uh, and so, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be coming when you don't expect them to come. And so the only way you can truly stop them is to always be on guard against them. You're always watchful. You're always prepared. Hey, if you come in, I'm going to be ready for you. And then that's the, the parable, this analogy that Jesus is putting forth here, and that we are the ones who are the master of the home in this parable, and that Jesus is the thief in this parable, and that he's going to come at a time you don't expect. 
And you need to be prepared. You need to be watchful if you're going to be ready for him. Notice verse 40. Jesus says, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus wants us to recognize he's going to come back at a time we don't expect and so that we always have to live in expectation. We always have to live watching. We always have to live prepared because we don't know the day. We don't know the hour. We have to just always be ready. It could be now. It could be an hour from now. It could be a day from now. It could be a week, a month, a year. But we've got to live constantly in this expectation of Jesus' return, watching and being ready. So that's the first thing that we need to do to be ready for Jesus' return is to watch and be prepared. The second thing we need to do to be ready for Jesus' return is found in Luke chapter 12, verses 41 through 48. And it says this, Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is this faithful and wise uh, steward, whom the master will make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For every one to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. The second thing that Jesus says that we need to be doing if we're going to be ready for his return is work for Jesus until he returns. So you and I need to be watching, we need to be prepared, but we also need to be working. You know, oftentimes Christians are in this place where, oh, I'm just going to watch. You know, there's kind of gazing at the heavens. And, you know, you know, God wants us to be watching and prepared, but he also wants us to be working. He wants us to be living our lives here on this earth for him, to be doing things for him. So our responsibility is not just to watch, but it's also to work. And Jesus gives us another parable to make his point about the importance of working for the Lord as we're here on this earth. But before he shares that parable, Peter who just heard a parable, has a question for Jesus, and, and it's a good question. He says, Lord, do you speak this parable to us only, speaking about the disciples, or to all people? Is this parable just for us 12, or is this parable for everyone? Well, Jesus responds with another parable, and within that parable, he answers Peter's question by ultimately saying, this is for everyone. You know, I want everyone to be watchful and prepared. I want everyone to be working for me. Now, within this parable that Jesus shares, there's two different types of servants. First, there's the faithful servant, and the master's gone. And I'm sure with all of you who have jobs, when the boss is out, a lot of people don't really work very hard. You probably have experienced that. You know, when the boss is there and he's looking over your shoulder, everybody's working hard because the boss is watching. But when the boss goes away, you know, as the saying goes, when the cat goes away, the mice play. Well, the same thing at work oftentimes. When the boss goes away, people kind of relax. They don't work as hard. They don't do their job as much. And so Jesus is saying, you know what? Here is this situation. You have the master's gone, and you have two different types of servants. You have the servant who's faithful. 
Even though the master's gone, it doesn't change how hard he works. It doesn't change what he does. He's still consistently serving and working for the master, even though the master's not there to watch. But then you also have this other servant who's the unfaithful servant, and he recognizes, you know what? The master's gone. Who knows when he's coming back? And so he starts beating the servants that are under him. He starts just indulging in sinful behavior, getting drunk, and it's like, you know what? I'm just going to indulge myself now because the master's gone, and he's not here to watch what I do. And so in this parable, Jesus is the master. He's the one who's gone and will eventually come back. And we get to have a choice as to be which servant we're going to be. We can choose to be the faithful servant, that as Jesus is gone, we can faithfully serve him and work for him while we're here. Or we can choose to be the unfaithful servant, where we kind of think, ah, who knows when Jesus is coming back. I might as well just indulge in my own sinful behavior and my own pleasures in this life. Now, obviously, Jesus wants us to be the faithful servant. He wants us to spend our time working for him, living for him. And in this parable, Jesus tells us, you know what? There's rewards that come to the faithful servant, and there's consequences that come to the unfaithful servant. To the faithful servant, Jesus says, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all he has. And so first Jesus says, you know what, when the master comes back and he finds that servant who's been faithful the whole time he's been gone, there's a great reward coming to him. He's going to make him the ruler over everything he has because he showed himself faithful. He worked for him while he was gone, and there's a great blessing that comes to him. And in the same way as our master Jesus comes back for us and he finds us living for him, working for him, there are rewards and blessings that will come to us because of that. But to the unfaithful servant. Jesus has this to say, starting in verse 46. The master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him, and in an hour when he's not aware, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes, but he did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required." And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. So when the master comes and finds this unfaithful servant, not only not working for him, but beating other servants, indulging in sinful lifestyle, there is a consequence. He says he's going to punish that servant. He's going to take away the reward that he would have given to him because he was unfaithful. Now, there are those that read verse 46, and Jesus says something that many believe, you know, well, Jesus is saying that if you're unfaithful, if you're not working for him in this life, that when he returns, if you're not doing that, then you will lose your salvation. And the main reason for that is they say, because Jesus says, I will appoint his portion with the unbelievers. Their thought is, if you are appointed a portion with unbelievers, then you're no longer saved. And that logic works fine. The problem with that logic is the translation from Greek to English. For those of you who use New King James like I'm using right now, it's translated unbeliever. But actually, that's not the best translation of the original Greek. Um, For those of you who have ESV and some other translations, you'll notice that your Bible says unfaithful, not unbeliever. Uh, And that is the better translation that Jesus is saying he's going to appoint his portion with the unfaithful. Because there are two different types of servants. There's the faithful servant who gets rewarded for what he does, and there's the unfaithful servant who doesn't get rewarded for what he does. 
You know, this is an interesting thing that uh, the Bible clearly reveals to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that all of what we do here in this life will be judged. It will be tested. And, well, I'll read it and we'll look at it. Notice what it says. Chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, the foundation of Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which has been built on, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire." You see, this passage here in Corinthians is bringing up an interesting reality. For those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ, when we stand before him, what we've done in this life will be tested with fire. And what this passage is saying is those things that are done for Jesus Christ, those things that we did doing it for him, they're going to be like gold and precious stones. And when they're tested by the fire, they're going to, be in, they're going to endure and we're going to have a heavenly or eternal reward for the way in which we live for Jesus in this life. But unfortunately... There are a lot of things that we do in this life that aren't for the Lord. We're working and doing stuff for our own pleasures, our own things, and they're going to be like wood, hay, and straw. And when the fire tests them, they're going to be burnt up. And there's going to be nothing, there's going to be no reward for those things. But notice the important thing here in verse 15. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet is through fire. You see, if you're a faithful servant, it's very clear that what you're doing for the Lord is like precious stones. It's like gold. And when the fire is tested, when that time of uh, judgment comes, God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's a bunch of rewards for the way in which you live for me in this life. But for those who've been unfaithful, who are not working for the Lord, living for the Lord, who have accepted Jesus Christ, notice verse 15, what they've done the living for themselves, that's going to be burnt up. There's not going to be any eternal rewards for them in that, but they're going to suffer loss. Well, what's their loss? The loss is, I don't get rewarded for these things, but he himself, the individual, will still be saved, yet as through fire. So salvation is not at stake. It's the heavenly rewards that are at stake. For those of you who've been coming on Thursday night, we've seen this in the book of Ephesians very clearly. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is not what we do that saves us, it's our faith in what Christ has done for us that saves us. And so what Jesus is bringing out here is, hey, there's going to be those faithful servants that are living for me, working for me, and when I come back and find them doing that, they're going to be rewarded for all eternity. There's going to be great blessings in heaven for us. But... When we're not living for the Lord, there's not going to be rewards. When we're living for ourselves, the only pleasure we get is in this life. There's no eternal significance to those things, and we're going to miss out on what the Lord would want to give to us. But Jesus reveals something more. He says, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask all the more. You know, the more, God that, more that God gives to you, the more he expects of you. The more talents, the more giftings, the more work that he calls you to do, he expects more of you and desires more of you. And so if you're someone who God has blessed greatly and has given you all these things and you still don't do anything for him, there's a greater sense of uh, accountability to him because of that. So the second thing we need to do to make sure we're ready for Jesus' return is work 
for Jesus until he returns. So first, watch and be prepared. Second, work. The third thing we need to do is seen in verses 49 through 53. Jesus says, I came to send fire on earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five and one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The third thing that Jesus tells us we need to do to make sure that we're ready for his return, and I'm using all W's, I probably could have picked another word, but war in love until he returns. We could have used fight or battle, but uh, you have walk and you have watch and you have war and there's one more W hopefully to help you to remember it. But notice what Jesus says first. He says, I came to send fire on earth and how I wish it were already kindled. This fire that Jesus is referring to is ultimately the, the Holy Spirit indwelling each believer. But Jesus says, you know what? There's a baptism that I have to be baptized with first. And what he's referring to is his death on the cross. And that's kind of something that has to happen, obviously, before he can send the Holy Spirit. But then Jesus goes on to tell us something very important about those who have accepted him, what that does. Because oftentimes we think, oh, when we accept Jesus, everything's just going to be great, and life's going to be so easy and simple, and we're not going to have any problems. And, and unfortunately, some people you know, from pulpits preach that message, but it's not true. And Jesus reveals something important for us to understand as we're here in this life waiting for him to come back. There's something that happens when you accept Christ. There's a lot of benefits, there's a lot of pleasure, there's a lot of wonderful things, but there are some difficulties that come with that as well. And here's one of them. Notice what he says in verse 51. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. From now on, five and one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now, Jesus brings up something very significant, very important here. And you might think, well, I thought Jesus was the the prince of peace. And he says here, you know, do you think I came to bring peace? Well, of course Jesus came to bring peace. Well, here's something we need to understand about us and our situation before Christ. First of all, before Christ, we were not at peace with God. We were at peace with the world. With the sinful world, we were at peace. We were living for the world. We were at peace with the world. But at the same time, we were at war with God. We had no relationship with God. We were enemies of God. When we accept Jesus Christ, the things shift. Now we're at peace with God. We're friends of God. We're children of God. We have this relationship with God. So when we accept Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, we now have peace with the one who matters most, God. But the problem is we used to be at peace with the world and not at peace with God. Now we're at peace with God and something changed in our relationship with the world. We're no longer at peace with the world. And the reason we're no longer at peace with the world is because the world despises Jesus Christ. And guess what? He now dwells within us. And now all of a sudden, we used to be living for them. We used to be doing what they did. We used to be like them. And now there's been a change because we've accepted Jesus Christ, the one that they reject. And so now it brings division. And Jesus is bringing up a reality. When you accept him, there are going to be those that have not accepted him who want nothing to do with you. 
There are going to be those who have not accepted him who are literally going to war against you because they hate Jesus. And because now you represent Jesus and Jesus dwells within you, they hate you. Jesus tells us, hey, you know what? If they've killed me and rejected me, how much more are they going to do that for those who follow me? The reality is the world and the way in which they want to live is completely contrary to Jesus Christ and the way that God tells us to live. And so when we accept Christ, it brings a division. And notice the division that Jesus gives in the examples. He brings it into the home. And sadly, I'm sure that most all of us have experienced that where there's some family member because we have accepted Christ that wants nothing to do with us, that has a division now with us that is angry towards us, that there's a problem now because we've accepted Christ and they don't want us to accept Christ because they liked us the way we were. They liked the fact that we partied with them. They liked the fact that we lived that sinful lifestyle with them. And now that we've changed and we're living for Jesus, they don't want anything to do with us. And so they have chosen to now become against us, dividing with us, at war against us. Now that's not something that we've chosen. We're not hostile towards them. They've chosen to be hostile towards us. We don't want this division to happen, but yet they do because they're not willing to accept Jesus and they don't like the fact that we have. And this shouldn't surprise us. This division shouldn't surprise us. Sometimes we get shocked because we accept Jesus. We think this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I can't wait to tell all these people. And we think these people are going to hear that message and they're going to be so excited for us. And they're going to say, how wonderful can I have that as well? And instead, we're surprised by the response of, get away from me. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. How dare you believe in Jesus? Why did you do that? You're not the person I used to know. I don't want anything to do with you. And, you know, it can happen with spouses. It can happen with parents. It can happen with siblings. It can happen with deep, close friends. And it's something that's very difficult oftentimes for us to deal with. And we need to understand, and this is why I put war in love, that they are responding with war. They're responding with wanting to fight. They're responding to want to be divided from us. But we don't want that. And we need to respond to them in love. Because it's easy for us when people start attacking us and getting against us and how dare you believe in Jesus and I don't want anything to do with you. It's easy to kind of respond in a similar way than, and, and, and an attack back against them. And we need to be very careful to respond in love to keep loving them, to keep reaching out to them, to recognize, you know, ultimately it really isn't personal. They hate Jesus and that fact that we've accepted them, they hate that reality. But I know this is something that's very hard to do. It's something that you hear and you, you know, a lot of things in the Bible, you hear a challenge, but you know, it's one thing to know what you're supposed to do, but to put that into practice can be very difficult, especially when it's family, especially when it's people that you're very close to and you want that deep intimacy that you used to have and it's not there anymore because they have chosen to, you know, basically divide themselves from you because you have chosen to make God in a significant part of your life and accept him. I remember when I was in high school, you know, for my freshman, sophomore, junior year, I wasn't living for God at all. I had a lot of non-Christian friends and we partied together. And then all of a sudden, the summer right before my senior year is when I, you know, made a commitment to Christ. He changed my life. And, you know, my senior year, I come and there's all these friends that I have that I partied with for years and I'm not partying with them anymore. I have changed and they recognize the change, but they don't like it. You know, oh, we like the old Matthew who used to party with us and do all these things. We don't like 
the new one, and we definitely don't like the new one who's trying to tell us about Jesus and tell us about what Jesus can do for our life and that we need to, you know, come and accept him. And so, you know, just more and more just kind of, you know, we don't want to be around you, some being very hostile towards me, uh, especially when I would share Christ with them. And, you know, you had people that you thought, man, these were close friends. I spent so much time with them. We did all this stuff together. But all of a sudden, you know, I'm not what I used to be. And they no longer like this change that Jesus has brought in my life. And, you know, there were times when they were hostile and, you know, and my fleshly response was just to respond in more of a, you know, an angry way. And I did that sometimes and that definitely wasn't good. And the Lord just kept showing me, just show them love. You got to continue to pour out love on them. I know it's difficult. I know they come at you. I know they say these things and all you've done is accept me, but yet you need to keep pouring love on them. And, and one of the guys who was most hostile to me, my end of my senior year, his mother died of cancer. And the first person he comes to is me. All his friends who were his party friends and everything, he recognized, you know what, none of them have any answers for him right now in his life when he just lost his mom. And he comes to me and we're talking. He's like, you know, I want what you have. And he started coming to church and he ended up getting saved. But, you know, he was one that at first I just like, man, I want to punch this guy. He's being such a jerk. And the Lord really challenged me, love him, love him, love him. And it was interesting over time that, you know, we didn't have much interaction. But when the catastrophe happens in his life, he chooses to come to me and to talk. And so this can be difficult, but I think it's important to recognize we're going to have that division. When we accept Christ, there are going to be people who don't like that, but we need to continue to love them, to reach them, because we want them to be ready as well to know Jesus when he returns. The fourth thing to be ready, we need to do to be ready, is found in verse 54 through 56. Then Jesus also said to the multitudes, Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, A shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, There will be hot weather, and there it is. Hypocrites! You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? The fourth thing that we need to do in order to be ready for Jesus' return is be wise and discerning about Jesus' return. Notice what Jesus tells these guys. He says, you know what, guys? You can look at a cloud rising out of the west and immediately say, you know what? A shower's coming. It's going to rain. You can just see that. You can also tell when it's going to be hot. The south wind's blowing. We're going to have a hot day. You guys can look into the sky and you have enough wisdom and enough discernment to recognize what kind of weather it's going to be. Hypocrites! How is it that you can determine the weather by looking at the sky and can't know and determine the times that you're living in because the Word of God has clearly revealed the time that you're living in? Jesus is saying you have enough wisdom to discern what the weather is, but how come you can't look into the Old Testament and see all the prophecies concerning me and not be totally aware of the time that you're living in, that I am the Messiah who's come here just like all these prophecies have said? And so Jesus rebukes the people of his day because they were not wise and did not discern the time they were living in, the time of Jesus the Messiah. You know, we look at that and we think, man, we have all these Old Testaments. We have 315 prophecies specifically about Jesus. How did they miss it? How did they not see his first coming? How did they not understand all this? And we kind of judge them and we think, you know, what's wrong with them? But you know what? I would ask the church world today a similar question. Are we 
wise and discerning about the next coming of Jesus. They missed the first one. They didn't know what the scriptures were saying about it, but yet I think the body of Christ as a whole oftentimes is just as undiscerning and unwise as that generation when it comes to Jesus' next coming because there's just plenty of scripture to deal with that as well, and yet so many, Jesus might come and say the same thing. You know what? You guys can tell by looking at the, the sky what the weather's going to be like, but you don't know the reality of the time that you're living in that I could come back at any moment. You know, there needs to be no more prophecies to be fulfilled concerning Jesus' return for his church. And we need to be ready and recognize that that day can happen at any moment. It can happen today, it can happen tomorrow. We need to live in anticipation of that instead of that unfaithful servant who thinks, ah, who knows when the master's going to come? I'm just going to live life for me. Instead of recognizing Jesus could come back today and I better be living the way that I'm supposed to be living. Jesus could come back today and the question is, are you ready for his return? Now, if you had spiritual wisdom, you had discernment and Jesus, you knew that Jesus was coming, hopefully you would get right with him before he came and there's a principle that Jesus kind of ends with of the importance of getting right with the judge of the universe before he comes and judges you. Verse 57. Yes, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last might. You know, Jesus is bringing up this reality of, you know, they're able to judge the weather, but they, but they don't judge the things that matter most. And even in a practical sense, you know, you better get right with the people who want to bring you to court, because if you don't, you're going to stand before that judge, and he's going to throw you into prison, and you're going to have to pay for what you did. But in a spiritual reality, the ultimate judge we want to make every effort to settle out of court. Well, how do we settle out of court with God? By accepting God's offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. By dealing with the judgment that we deserve by pouring it on Jesus Christ. If we believe Jesus is coming soon, what should our response be? Well, one of them is, let's get our life sorted out with Jesus now. Let's make sure that I come to him and confess my sin to him and get forgiven of my sin because I don't want to stand before the judge of heaven and earth and have to deal with all my sin on my own and have to be punished for that. Instead, get right with Jesus now. Get right with God now by accepting what Jesus has done. And for those of us who have already done that, we should be telling others, hey, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He gave his life for you on the cross. This is the way to become right with God. If he comes now and returns for you know, his church and he comes to judge, you're going to face him in a way that you don't want to face him. You need to get right with him. So four ways that we can make sure that we're ready for Jesus' return. Watch. Be prepared. Work for the Lord until he returns. War in love until Jesus returns and be wise and discerning about Jesus' return. If Jesus came back today, would he find us doing these four things? Would he find you doing these four things? If he returned today, would you be, find you watching for him, working for him, warring in love, 
Would he find you wise and discerning about his return? If the answer is no to any of those questions, I would challenge you before you leave is ask the Lord to help that be something that changes in your life. Now, we wouldn't be content with, you know what, well, I don't really care that I'm not watching. I don't really care that I'm not working. I don't really care that, you know, I'm not dealing with the conflict in my life in a loving way. I don't care that I'm not wise towards these things. That should not be our heart's attitude that, Lord, if this is lacking in me, help me to change so that I can be ready when you come back. You know, there's another thing that the Bible tells us we should regularly do as we wait for Jesus' return. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26 says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You know, Jesus tells us he wants us to regularly remember the most significant thing that he did for us, and that is the fact that he gave his life on the cross for our sins. And we take communion to remember that. The elements of communion are symbolic. The cracker representing his body that was given for us on the cross, the, the juice representing his blood that was shed for us. But notice in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Until he comes, he wants us to continue to do this, but it's something that we're proclaiming of, hey, we proclaim what you've done. We don't want to forget what you've done for us. We don't want to forget what you've done for this world, and we want to make that known to those who don't know it. And so as we do at the first Sunday of every month, we're going to close. Colson's going to come and lead us in a song of worship, and uh, we're going to have the communion elements passed around. But I just encourage you just to hold on to the elements. We'll, after the song of worship, we'll take that together. But um, during this time, you can worship the Lord, but I also would just encourage you to take some time to reflect on you know, your own life, to confess sin that hasn't been confessed, but to also think about, you know what, am I ready for Jesus' return? Am I being watchful? Am I being someone who is working for the Lord? Am I, am I warring in love? Am I wise about Jesus' return? And, and just kind of coming to the Lord and, and asking Him to help you with that. And uh, if you have not accepted the Lord, uh, then this is not something for you to partake. Just let it pass on by as it goes. But uh, I just encourage you to hold on to these elements. Uh, and as we worship, we'll come back and, and take this together.